emphasize that Easter Sunday this year, we're offering three worship services. Three worship services. Now, here's the deal. Uh, you're like, why three worship services? Why isn't two good enough? Because we're pretty much maxing out two right now, and, uh, and I'm, we're anticipating a big day for Easter, as we always do. Um, and so that will be good. Um, now, here's the deal about Easter. Like, I was talking to Jamie about this last night. I am, I think, more excited this year about Easter maybe than I've ever been in my life. Like, I, I feel like for the last week or more, like every day is Christmas Eve. That's how much anticipation I have about Easter. Like, I'm just building up to, building, building, building up to Easter. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's, what God has planned I just feel like he's getting ready to drop something big on us. And whether it's on Easter or shortly thereafter, I don't know. But, but let me just throw this out as a challenge to you to be thinking about and be praying about. I don't think we're ready for what God's getting ready to do to Living Hope Church. I honestly don't. I think we're going to be bowled over. And I want you all to join with me and get yourself in the frame of mind that God is getting ready to show up big. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Because I don't think we—I don't think we are. I honestly don't think we are. And so, get your head in that—that that space and and help me. Uh, let's 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 kind of lock arms and get ready. We did this. That's um, been like three years ago now. Where it, well, actually the conversation started a little bit more earlier than that. Uh, where we were over at Tremont doing fine with one Sunday morning service. And, 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 uh, and we weren't, I mean, that's a big room over at Tremont. We weren't maxing out that space by any shape, of, you know, stretch of the imagination. And, uh, and the elders and I began to, to pray early in that year, whatever that year was, 2012 or something like that, um, about this kind of anticipation that I'm, uh, the kind of what I like to call holy anticipation, uh, and because and, we just felt like God was getting ready to do something big, and we wanted to get ready for whatever it was God was going to do. And so we began to have that conversation about adding a second service long before we needed a second service. And, and about fall of that year, we rolled out that second service, and, and immediately God started filling that, that second service as well. And I just feel like that's kind of where we are again as a church. I, I really feel... I really believe I've got this kind of pent-up, holy anticipation. I feel like God's getting ready to drop something big on us, and uh, we need to start having some conversation about what our next step is to prepare for that. And so uh, just join with me and begin to pray about that. It's like seek God's face. Like, God, where is it you want to take us as a church? What do we need to do to get ready? Uh, but God's got big stuff in store. Now, you look around and see a lot of empty seats this morning. One of the reasons for that is we've got 35 kids at winter camp right now. Uh, which is just awesome, and so so excited that they're all there, and, uh, just having a good time and digging deeper into God's word, and and, uh, and just into their own you know spirituality and stuff. And so that's that's awesome. We'll be lifting them up in prayer. They'll be coming back this evening, um, and so that's good. Uh, also, I want to point out our baptistry is still 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 set up. <laughs> okay, still set up. That's a kind of Hannibal Lecter sound I just made. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna baptize people second service. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> um, yeah, that's horrible. That's really horrible. Like you did not come to church for that. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, after church, after church last week, we baptized six last week, by the way. And after church, uh, we had our LHC one-on-one cl- class. After that class, 
I got to have a conversation with a little six-year-old girl named Jamie who wanted to be baptized. And, and so, you know, when you're dealing with young kids, you want to make sure they have a good understanding of what it is they're asking for. Because sometimes they just see people getting wet and they're like, I want to get wet too. You know, that sort of thing. And so, so I sat down with her and, uh, and uh, she was able, this little girl, just beautiful little girl, she, uh, she was able to explain to me without me explaining to her first, just on her own. I was like, do you know what sin is? She began, she explained to me the doctrine of sin. I was like, do you know uh, why we, uh, you know, why we do baptism? She explained to me the doctrine of, of baptism. She, be, she just had such a very clear understanding. And she was like, yes, and I want to do this. And, and, and here's the thing. I was, I was talking to her. Um, <laughs> I was talking to her. <laughs> Pay no attention. Um, <laughs> as I was talking to her mother after, after that conversation, uh, uh, another beautiful lady in our church by the name of Eden, and, uh, and she's like, here's the deal. She's like, I, I haven't really had that deep of a conversation with her about those things. And I, the only reason I bring that out to you is because despite what you're hearing back there right now, <laughs> our kids workers love your kids and they are training <laughs> and they are training your kids up in the ways of the Lord. Like, like you are so blessed to have them back there teaching them the concepts that they're teaching them. That, that a little girl, a six-year-old girl by the name of Jamie completely understood the doctrine of salvation and put it into words that some adults couldn't have put it into. And, uh, and so thank you. Let me, as a dad, let me just say to all of you who serve in our kids' ministry, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, and keep up, keep up the good work. It, that ministry back there is not about babysitting. We don't do babysitting at Living Hope. We're doing ministry. We're doing discipleship. We're raising up kids into what the Bible calls the fear and admonition of the Lord, which basically means we want to raise up kids who know how to honor God and love Him. And so we're, we're, we're doing that back there. And if you're interested in joining us, it's a horrible pitch now after the screaming pitch. But if you're... If you're interested in joining in that ministry and raising up this next generation of, of, of leaders, uh, then, then talk to Liz, and we will definitely get you plugged in back there uh, because it is a worthwhile ministry, worthwhile ministry. So anyway, all right, that's enough. Let's get to the sermon. Um, you can flip over to the book of Exodus if you want. All right, so here's the deal. We've been in this series called Gospel Restoration where... We've been looking at um, uh, just the fullness of the gospel story. Like, what, let, let's, let's completely tell the gospel story. Not just uh, Jesus died for you and, and, uh, and you need to get your life right. That's not really the gospel. The gospel encompasses so much more of that. And I want to give you guys a very clear picture of, of the whole story. The whole story. And so we were starting from the beginning. We started with creation we, uh, and how God created everything. We went into um, um, the fall, uh, uh, you know, where sin entered the world, how God's perfect creation was screwed up by sinful people and uh, continues to be screwed up by sinful people over and over and over again, uh, you know, uh, amen. And, uh, and so it, it, that, that, and then last week we talked about a, a, a man, a family, uh, a man by the name of Abraham, where God had made a covenant with Abraham. God had a plan immediately after sin entered the world. God had a, a plan to reunify himself with, 
mankind with human with all of us humans and and he started to roll out that that plan of redemption that plan of rescuing us from ourselves rescuing us from our sinfulness uh so that we could be in relationship with him he began to roll that plan out pretty much immediately and then he, he has his first major push in that plan with a covenant he makes with a very ordinary man by the name of abraham and that covenant with him was this, this, this ordinary man who was just kind of a wanderer. He didn't have land of his own. Uh, there wasn't anything special about him. He says, and, and he, was, he was an older man without kids. Him and his wife had no kids. And uh, so he had no hope of a legacy, no hope of a legacy. And God makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham and said, this is the deal. Uh, I'm going to give you land. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you offspring. In fact, at one point he says, look up at the stars, number them if you can, because uh, your offspring will number beyond the stars. Your, uh, there will be kings that come from your lineage. And then he says this, and I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. I'm going to bless. And so this is our first kind of foreshadowing of what's to come as uh, one of the uh, you know, a lot of great guys came out of his family, and, and one of the greatest, the greatest, was, was a fellow by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and so, so this is where we're going. God has begun this plan. Now, what happens, I'm going to kind of bridge the gap here between last week and this week. What happens is, if you keep reading in Genesis, there's a lot of great stories. Uh, Abraham, has a, Abraham and, and his wife Sarah, they have a son by the name of uh, Isaac. And Isaac, uh, they just obviously, uh, you know, they're, they're old people with a baby. They, they're just loving and spoiling that kid, right? And, and, uh, and they, they just love him so much. And there's a whole story there. And, 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 and kind of the story shifts to Isaac and his family. And they have, uh, you know, a, a, a son, actually twin sons by the name of Jacob and Esau. And the story continues through the Jacob. Uh, and it keeps on going. Jacob has a bunch of kids. And, uh, and, and, a, and a couple of wives, it's an interesting story. You should read that. And, uh, and so in that, uh, out, of, out of the Jacob, by the way, his name was eventually changed. Just as God changed Abram's name to Abraham, uh, he changes Jacob's name to, does anybody know? Israel, right, Israel. This is where the nation of Israel comes is from this family. And so, in, so what happens is kind of in the, in the transition between Genesis and Exodus, we see the story, God's redemptive story, transition from a family to a nation. And long story short, that, that family, uh, through uh, one of uh, Jacob's sons, Joseph, uh, who was a leader in, in Egypt, long story, great, great epic story, you should definitely read that one. Uh, it takes up about a third of the last part of, of uh, Genesis. It's a great story. Uh, but anyway, so long story short, they all moved to Egypt because of a famine, and Jacob or uh, Joseph was, allowed, was, was able to prepare uh, that part of the world for the famine that was going to come uh, because God was with him. And anyway, good, 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 good stuff. So, all of the family of Abraham have now moved into Egypt because that's where they could find food. And, and then the Pharaoh who was in charge of Egypt uh, dies, and a new Pharaoh comes along. And basically, the Bible says this Pharaoh comes along, and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't really care. And what they do is they take, they multiply, you know, these, these now Israelites had multiplied and multiplied and multiplied to where they were a pretty great nation of their own living in Egypt. And Pharaoh sees them and sees how many of them there are. And he's like, uh, we got some 
pyramids to build, so let's let's let these guys do it for us. And so they put them into they put them into bondage, put them into slavery, and begin to use them to work. And uh, and and so for four hundred years, God's chosen people that from that family of Abraham, those Israelites, uh, are in bondage in Egypt for four hundred years. In fact. Back there's a, there's a passage uh, way back with Abraham where God actually tells Abraham that that's going to happen. He's like, this is going to happen. Your people are going to be, you know, your your family is going to be in bondage for 400 years. But don't worry, I haven't left. I, I, you know, let your kids know it's happening. I haven't left you. I haven't left you. I got a plan. And so this is where we come to the story of Moses. And so Moses uh, is this leader that God raises up amongst the. Uh, Israelites, and, and again, great epic story. I don't have time to go into all the details, but uh, long story short, he's able to get an audience uh, and influence with Pharaoh, uh, and, and God, through miraculous works, sends signs to, to get Pharaoh to change his mind about letting the Israelites go and seek their own land, right, to, you know, to, to free up those people. Um, and so, wants this nation of Israel now numbering over by, by what, what the Bible says, well over 6 million people. And that's a good chance that that 6 million was probably just men. And so if that was just men, you're probably talking, what, 20, 25 million maybe people? They leave in mass from Egypt to go seek out their promised land, the land that God had promised their forefathers and to set up their, and to be the nation that God had called them to be this holy nation. And, and so they leave, and in the process now, a new covenant comes. Now, we refer to the covenant that we talked about last week as the Abrahamic covenant. And, and there are actually six or seven covenants uh, that, that take place through this uh, nation at different points. And the one we're going to talk about this week is, is since it's through the leader Moses, it's, it's known as the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And, and in this covenant where we talked about last week that the covenant with Abraham, I'm going to give you land and offspring, and I'm going to bless the world through your family. We talked about that was an unconditional covenant. In other words, whether you're faithful to me or not, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. That's what God was saying. This covenant that, that God rolls out with Moses is a conditional covenant. Conditional. Let's, let's, read, let's read about it a little bit. So uh, we're going to uh, Exodus chapter 19. We're starting with verse 1. It says, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Uh, God, like, wiped them out. He, like, not completely, but he did a number on them. So go back and read it. It's a great story. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, there's the if. Here's the condition, okay? If. Big, big word in the Bible, if. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So your first point is this. If you're filling in blanks, if you've got one of our, our sheets from the back, it's this. In God's conditional covenant with Israel, the nation would be God's vessel to convey his redemptive plan. 
This is, this is God. This is the Mosaic covenant. That conditional covenant. If, if you obey, if you keep my commands, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless the, the world through this nation, through you as a people of Israel, right? This is what's going to happen. I'll be with you. And, uh, and, and you're going to be a, a kingdom of priests and a, and a holy nation, a set-apart nation. I will work very specifically through you as a nation if you stick with me. If you stick with me. Now, you may think, well, how, that seems kind of contradictory. It seems like God's kind of hedging his bets on his covenant with Abraham. But no, no, no. God's covenant with Abraham stands in place through your family. Through your offspring, I'm, I plan on blessing the entire world. Once the covenant moves from family to nation, nation, God's covenant is conditional. And he says, in, in terms of you guys as a nation, this is what you can expect. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will guide you. I will be your God. You'll be a holy nation, a set, a set apart, a special nation if you stick with me. If you stick with me. Now, that's really important to remember as we move forward in this gospel story. Because what we find and what we're going to look at uh, next week is that they didn't stick with God. They didn't stick with God. In fact, they started seeking after other gods. And this brought a whole different set of circumstances to the nation of Israel. It, brought, it, brought, it just brought this whole different thing. God is still faithful to his covenant with Abraham. He still has a plan, a redemptive plan to work through that family and to bring hope and, and restoration uh, and, and, and the good news of the gospel to the world. But that nation, that people of Israel, as they went on in their history and began to re- not only rebel against God, but begin to, do, begin to behave in very blasphemous ways, allow other gods into their temple to the one and only true God, uh, worship of other gods, and really, uh, honestly, grotesque ways uh, as they began to, to kind of allow the other nations of the world to crowd in on them and influence them in ways that pulled them away from their covenant with the one and only true God, they, as a nation, began to lose the favor of God. They began to lose the favor of God. God is still faithful. He's still bringing about his plan of redemption. But he's not going to tolerate that kind of unfaithfulness from this nation that he tried to set apart and say, I will stay with you if you stay with me. I will do this. Now, when you hear that covenant, it sounds a little bit like, um, like, we, like we serve a, a, a kind of fickle God. But keep in mind, this is not God working through individuals. This particular part is God working through a nation. A nation. And there's a story to that nation. And, I, and, I, and I, as we move forward in this gospel story... What we, re- what we find out about this nation may mess with some of your ideas about Israel and things like that. Uh, I don't know where you stand on the nation of Israel in terms of, you know, other, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to go with that conversation. But be patient as we unveil this story because the, the whole concept of Israel is going to come back in a really mighty and honestly, maybe to some of you, very surprising way. Very surprising way. God is faithful. He's got this redemptive plan, but he starts this coming. I'm just giving you a little historical background as we move forward, okay? So, now, the next thing that God does as Moses is up on the mountain with him is that he starts to give him the law. 
the law. And it first, it hits in the, in the form of, of what we know as the Ten Commandments. And then later on, he, at, he, he gives more laws to Moses. And this nation, this holy nation, this set-apart nation becomes this nation of laws, of holy decrees, of, of holy laws, of go- laws given to them from God. And the laws took on all kinds of different uh, shapes and sizes. Let me read to you when Jesus had a conversation with a fellow about the law and was asked about what's the greatest of the law. Jesus, uh, you know, basically uh, responds and, and says, uh, you know, basically you can sum up the law into two things. And he quotes from these two passages that I want to read to you now. De- Deuteronomy 6 says this. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the Jewish faith, that statement right there is known as the Shema. Everybody say Shema. So in the Jewish faith, that statement is known as the Shema. It's the center of everything that they believe. Uh, they, every Jew knows that phrase. Every child, Jewish child knows that phrase. Even today, thousands of years later, they still, that is the center of their whole faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God of the Lord is one. That we, that, and so Jesus says the first commandment, uh, you know, when he's asked about the first commandment, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. That's the first one. And then he says the second one is, is very much like it. And he quotes this passage from Leviticus, and he's, which is this, uh, Leviticus uh, 19, start with verse 17. You shall not, <coughs> excuse me, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but, here's the part you know, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor. So Jesus says, you want to sum up every bit of the law, every bit of law that God gave you? Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Everything, that, those two phrases encompass the whole law. Now, this is what you need to know. Put up that next phrase. It's that we, uh, God gave, here it comes, there it is. God gives over 600 laws that guide his people to better love him and their neighbor. God actually gives over 600 laws. You can find them in Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, some there. But over 600 laws that God hands down to his people to, to, so that they can follow him more closely and love him more closely and do a better job at loving their neighbor. This was going to be the thing that would set them apart from the rest of the world. They were a people that were committed with their entire being to their God, they loved him intensely, and they would be known. Sorry, I didn't mean to spit on you. They, and they would be known as a little extra baptism going on there. Uh, and so, and they would be known as a people that loved their neighbor. That was God's intention uh, for, for the people of Israel. Now, now the laws. All now, you, if you guys have read any of those books that I just mentioned, uh, where the laws are brought up, you will know there are some wackadoo laws in there. Just some straight up wacky laws. Now, there, there are, um, I mean, there's, there's this law, you know, for people who are very legalistic and, and they're like, no, no, we got to follow the Bible literally. I guarantee you not one of those guys has asked his wife to go live outside the city during her time of the month. Not one of them. Not one of them, because that's not going to go well for you at all if you do that, right? So uh, there are some crazy, so now the, the laws that God gives are divided up into a few different categories. There are, there are moral laws. 
moral laws, and, 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 and those are the, we find a lot of those kind of in the Ten Commandments. Those are the ones that we know. It's like, don't, don't murder, right? Don't lie, don't steal, uh, don't, you know, covet your neighbor's things, um, you know, on and on and on. There, there are these moral laws that come up, uh, laws about um, how you uh, just engage uh, people uh, romantically or sexually, you know, that sort of thing. They're, they're moral laws that God gives. There's another whole category of laws of um, sacrifice laws. And these are, these are how, you know, God set up these laws because there has to be a blood payment for sin. When we sin against God, somebody has to shed blood. Something has to shed blood. So he set up these laws of sacrifice. So Every year there were these sacrifices that the people had to offer and they were, you know, goats and bulls and doves and things like that. And there were different types, there were a few different types of sacrifices that were offered, but there was this whole set of laws for sacrifice, okay? These sacrifice laws come very important in play once we start talking about Jesus in a couple of weeks. Then in addition to that, there were these hygiene laws. A lot of these hygiene laws are some of the ones that we look at as kind of the craziest. And, and it's like, why would God, you know, tell people to, you know, or, you know, set up these laws of hygiene over things that we now know really don't make a big difference. And, and here, here's the reason. It was a, another act of love from God. Because uh, keep in mind, these people didn't have a Kaiser down the street that they could go get things checked out at. They didn't have, um, in fact, I mean, if you, if you just go back just a couple of hundred years in your, in your history, if you remember any of your history that you were taught in school, you know that the world was, was a completely different place when it came to illnesses and hygiene and things like that, a completely different place than it is today. They weren't, they weren't flushing their junk down off to some treatment facility. Uh, you know, it was just pouring it into the streets, right? They were, I mean, it was a completely different world. And if God is going to bless the world through this family one of the things that must happen is that they don't all die. That's so critical to his plan, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, if there's one thing that's critical to God's plan of blessing the world through his family, got to try to get you to Jesus before you're all wiped off the face of the planet, right? And so not only this nation, but other nations as well were... were had some what we would consider very crazy kind of hygiene laws set in place. Why? Because the threat of a plague that would wipe out everybody was real. Like we we hear stories in the news of Ebola and the Zika, Zika virus, whatever it's called, and I mean the the things like that. We hear those stories and we go, yeah, but is that really gonna, you know, whatever. No, back then if one of those stories comes up, it's like, okay, we gotta we gotta do something. We gotta take this seriously. Because guess what? There's a strong chance all of us die. Every single one of us. And so all of these hygiene laws are set in place to protect God's people and to protect that redemptive plan. So all these laws, over 600 laws, and, and, the, and the, at, Jesus says at the core of them, at the core of every one of those things, God's intention is that you would love him better and that you would love your neighbor better. That's the intention of all of these laws. So, I don't know what your relationship is with the concept of law. I have a very... Uh, um, troubled relationship with it. I grew up in a very uh, kind of legalistic uh, church environment where um, I was joking with somebody. <laughs> it, 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 uh, the uh, Phil says it's the joke I get to pull out once in a great while, but it's such a great joke. I, I love the opportunity I get to pull out. We were talking about uh, dancing, and I, and I said, yeah, what, you know, the church I grew up in, 
they didn't believe in premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. And, uh, and so, uh, anyway, so yeah, just that, you know, it was very legalistic, very, uh, I mean, piling extra rules and extra laws on top of God's rules and laws. Um, and, and, and then a very judging, just constantly judging people according to, you know, are you doing a better job at following Jesus than I'm doing a better job at following Jesus? I mean, and so just, just very comparative and judging this whole thing. And, and I swore, like, from a very early age, my kids were not going to grow up in a church like that. My kids were not going to grow up in a church like that. Now, now here's the thing you got to know about Christians. There's a certain level of legalism and judgmentalism that naturally creeps up in all of us. Natu- that has the tendency to naturally creep. We are comparative people. We like comparing how we're doing against how other people do it. Now, that's not unique to us as Christians. Actually, that's just kind of a human condition. Go outside the church, uh, just to people you work with. You, you guys see it's rampant in your workplace way more than it is here. Way more. And so that's just kind of a natural human condition. But one of the things I wanted so bad as a young person was whatever church I ended up uh, attending, I didn't know I was going to be leading one at that point, but whatever church I, wanted, I was going to be a part of, I wanted to make sure my kids felt a sense of freedom in their relationship with God. Felt that freedom that the Bible talks about. And the thing with the law is the only thing that the, the New Testament Paul teaches us that the only thing that the law does, it, it's, it doesn't make us perfect. In fact, you, the purpose of the law is this, to show you that you can't be perfect. The purpose of the law is to show us our need for a Savior. You've heard me say before, you know, we will, every, every once in a great while we sing the song, One Way Jesus, and, and, uh, and the truth of the matter is there's another way to God than Jesus. And it's this. Never make a mistake. If you can be perfect your entire life, I think God will embrace you. The problem is none of us can do that. Only one man who ever lived was able to do that, and that was Jesus Christ. And so since we can't be perfect, what the law does is it shows us our need for a Savior. It shows us our need for a Savior. Before I move on, let me just say this, that um, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts against legalism. When you find yourself having judgment, a judgmental attitude towards another person, question that, question that within you. Begin to ask yourself, is, does this come from a place of love and concern for this person? Or is it just more of, uh, come from a, from a place of, why can't everybody be more like me? Um, begin to kind of question your motives and, and that sort of thing. Now, now here's the deal. This does not mean we never call each other out. Like, I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and so let's, you know, in, in addition to a church that tries to be authentic in our worship, we just want to be authentic, period. And guess what? If you're screwed up, then, um, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you and say, uh, guess what? You're screwed up, but it's okay because I'm screwed up too. I'm screwed up too. And so I, I just, I just, I just t- I'm just telling you you're screwed up because, because I love you and I want to I help you. 
I want to help. I think this might be an area that I could potentially help you or encourage you in. And so let's have, start having some conversations about that. That's what loving people do to each other. Now, they don't, they don't use those words. They use much nicer words. But, but, they, but a loving person doesn't see somebody heading off a cliff and go, good luck. <laughs> you know, we don't, that's not what love looks like. Love looks like rescue. Love looks like compassion. Love looks like truth. Truth. And so we engage people in those kind of ways, and that's not legalism. What legalism is is this kind of concept that I can somehow be a better Christian than you because I'm a more moral person than you, which is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You're not a better Christian because you're more moral. You might be a better Christian because you're more faithful, but you're not a better Christian because you're more moral. 